So in time-honored tradition of me that I do here, aloha. Aloha. Happy Mother's Day. And if you want to know it in Hawaiian, haole la makuahine. <laughs> So when it came time to think of a message for today, I was given the free charge of it doesn't necessarily need to be a Mother's Day message. And that just didn't sit right with me in my particular way. But then how am I supposed to write a Mother's Day message? What is it supposed to be on? I had a difficult enough time just trying to find the right card. And you have so many different options today. You have your standard affair. You have the funny one. You have the one that's supposed to be funny, but it comes off as slightly offensive. <laughs> you have the generic religious one. I did manage to finally find one that works, but that's between my, me and my mom. So it is a religious one, and it actually works well with the lesson today. I wasn't intending it for to do so. But among some of those cards, it made me wonder, how do we actually honor our mother? I can, when we think of passages, Pastor Tony did a great job last year when it came to a passage that I would have never thought of using. If you remember, it's the passage on the Phoenician woman. But how many passages or how many times have we heard different things on Mother's Day where it comes across more of as instruction than particularly honoring. And I think to myself, would I on Veterans Day want people telling me how I should have better done it? <laughs> no, I don't think I'd enjoy it. I don't think you mothers would enjoy it particularly if I told you how to be a mother. For one, I'm not qualified to do so, other than I can tell you what God's word said. But that's not the point of today. Today is about honoring our mothers. And the particular passage we're going to be looking at today comes from Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And I want us to look at this before we move further. And it is recorded in God's holy word. My son, hear the instruction of your mother. And I'm sorry, hear the instruction of your father. See, I have mother on my mind. But that also works too. But My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains around your neck. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Now, in just these two verses alone, we can derive so much meaning when it comes to not only the role of parents, but our mothers specifically. And the first thing I want us to see in this particular passage, for us to consider, that when it comes to mothers and motherhood, the unique position of motherhood and mothers is one that is to be honored. And that's not something we see in modern society. In fact, that's not something we see in ancient society or relatively recent society. In fact, in the day that this passage was written, mothers were not particularly valued out in the culture by and large. But this is not a unique 
promise within this scripture or a unique idea within scripture that mothers are to be honored. If we were to go back to Exodus 20, there you would see honor thy, thy father and thy mother, that it may go well and you live long in the land. It is specifically commanded in scripture. And note, if you were to look at the commandments that precede it and the commandments that follow it, it occupies a very unique position. Before you have the first four commandments, which consist of our relationship with God, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not create a graven image, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, and you shall remember the Sabbath. Then comes the role of parents, and also mothers are included within that specifically. They are to be honored. And then the rules that follow are, the commandments that follow, indicate our position in society and how we are to treat others. But between God and society comes parents and also comes mothers. It is a position, a biblical position, that exists within God's law for a specific purpose. And not only does it exist in God's law, it actually precedes God's law. If we were to go back to the book of Genesis, we can see that the position of mother pre existed pre-fall. Not some idea that came up afterwards because we suddenly now had to deal with the fact that we're cut off from the tree of life and now we don't have access to eternal life. That, well, this is now a new position we need made to deal with our own mortality. No, God in his very creation of the world, creation of humanity, designated this as a position and one that is to be honored. In Genesis 1, 27 through 28, in that creation account, we have God creating man and woman and God's blessing upon them where he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 2, verses 23 through 24, we see that God creates the institution of marriage. And many of you might know that passage. It's a popular one during weddings, where in which it describes the creation of woman, of how she was not taken from the head of man as to rule over him, and she was not taken from the foot of man to be crushed under foot of him, but to be taken from his side, a partner that may stand beside him. And that passage also tells that the two are to become one flesh. So pre-creation, we have, I mean, pre, not pre-creation, pre-fall, we have God creating men and women, joining them together in marriage, and the command to have families. Then we see something very interesting as well, and this occurs in chapter 3, after man has sinned. That after they have sinned, God tells them, first he curses the serpent, then he tells man of what is going to befall him, that he now has to toil the soil, he will be cast out of the garden. And then he tells, woman, he tells the woman the, the position now that she will be in with pain in childbirth and that she will be subject to her husband. But I want you to consider what Adam does very next. We have where he could have had, in his own mind, or he could have accused the woman like he had before, and said, everything is your fault. I'm going to take this promise that God says that I get to rule over you and run with it. But no, 
He gives her the name Eve, the mother of all things. In his first act in establishing that relationship, he chose to honor her. I think that is very telling in the regard that even amidst the fall, that the first man saw that this is a position, that this is a title to be honored and revered, one that he did not have, but solely occupied his wife. The biblical position tells us that a mother is unique. It is to be honored. And this stands true in this particular proverb as well, because we see here at the beginning of this proverb, we have King Solomon exhorting his son on how to be wise. And the first seven verses tell us that wisdom comes from God and the benefits of being wise. And then, like the commandments, we have this transition between the advice at dealing with society. First, it comes from your parents. It comes from the father and the mother. This is to be valued. This is not to be put aside as modern society does. Well, the old man told me or my parents told me this, or as we now hear some acceptance speeches in the Oscars and the Grammys, that where it, in the most, in the least crude way possible, of thank you for making me, although they choose, well, words that I don't want to say up here, or in fact at all. But this particular proverb, at the very beginning of the proverbs of how to gain wit, of how one gains wisdom chooses to honor the position. And Solomon, being the wisest man on earth, we should probably take a cue from him, at least at this point in his life. Later Solomon, yeah, I don't think his mother was around for later Solomon. <laughs> but then we come to, now, the particular instruction of this proverb, where it tells us uh, to hear the instruction of your father, but then do not forsake the law of your mother. Now, what's the difference between these two things? And I can think of many times where my dad would tell me, I could ask him many questions. He tells me sim simply the same thing, a lot of the same things of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, treat your neighbors well, don't murder people. But he, my dad can tell me how society says I should act. But when it came down to the why, Oftentimes, that fell to my mother. And oftentimes, she was the one who I still turn to in understanding and how the way, way the world works or how I should interact with it. And this relationship between the difference between instruction and law or this, the letter of the law, this is what it simply says. The spirit of the law, this is what it means. And this idea of the love of the law and it's going to be repeated in this proverb. And if you were to look at Psalms 119, now don't turn to that one because if you follow our daily reading plan of the Bible and you were to look ahead to next month, you would see that particular Psalm we're going to take seven days to read. It's a very long Psalm. And the word law is used in that Psalm 25 times or once every seven verses if you want to do some average. And there it describes the law as pure, 
reveals wisdom, revives, grants understanding, that mercy and salvation come from the Lord, so therefore I will follow your law. It brings moral uprightness. It is liberating. It is something to be valued. It brings joy. The biblical authors did not see the law as some sort of shackle, some sort of chains that bound them, but the law that they were taught by their mother was something that is to be treasured, something that is to be appreciated, something that brings them all these qualities of its purity, it can revive, it is something valuable, tangible, and brings them joy. Now another particular Mother's Day passage that some have chosen to use in the past, Proverbs 31, once again, we're not going to actually read from that entirely, but it's something, it's a passage that many people like to use where it talks about the qualities of a godly woman. But if we were to go to the in, very first verse of that particular proverb, it has a very interesting address. It is the words of King Lemuel, which Lemuel could also be another name for Solomon, but regardless, telling his son, as the words told to him by his mother, on a variety of topics, from avoiding drunkenness, to having right relations, to what to look for in a wife. And here is either King Solomon or some other king that the wisest king who ever lived decided, wisest king besides Jesus, decided that these are memorable instructions to pass on to my son, and they were given to me by my mother. And they not only tell me, of avoid these kind of women, search these kind, but why? What will she bring to the relationship that will enrich my life, her life, and our children's lives? Why should I avoid intoxicating drink? Why I should choose my partners carefully? The fact that this king shared to his son in an age that women were not valued is a very telling one indeed. And then we see now that this passage in Proverbs also includes a reward, a particular benefit for you, where it describes how they will be a graceful ornament on your head and a chain around your neck. Now, don't think of this as chains, as shackles. This word is unique within scripture that every time it in every other passage it's described, it is a necklace, a pendant, something of value. And the biblical commentators chose different ways in describing this particular chain. Some referred to it, although in the minority, as a very real, tangible chain, and likened it to the gift given by a master to his apprentice once completing his apprenticeship. Or in a modern day context, your cap and gown as you graduate. They likened it to a very real, tangible thing that you have completed your period of instruction. Here now, wear this with pride. Some chose or see a metaphorical. Okay. 
see a metaphorical chain. That comparatively, the wisdom, the law that was taught to you by your mother is better than any real chains, any real pendant, any real jewelry that you could wear. What I think both of these were getting at and what more commentators point towards is a metaphysical type of chain. And what do I mean by that? I want you to consider these lays that I'm wearing today. And in Hawaiian culture, lays are of way that we honor one another, show our love for one another. And in the traditional means of crafting them, there's many different materials, flowers, feathers, ribbon. These are kukui nuts. The material doesn't matter in the case of this particular illustration. But it takes time to gather the materials necessary. There's exact patterns for weaving, and each of these tells something different. There's careful time process put forth in its design and its construction while the person is thinking of us. And then the way it is given. They are given in aloha, or given in love. That I am now, I have spent this time preparing this particular gift for one to wear, and now I give it away. I give away my love, I give it to them to wear. And then it is worn with pride. And it's a good kind of pride. Because this pride that now I, of these wares I lay, I, I'm, lays I am wearing, there we go. Yeah, I got a little caught up there, but they're worn with pride. Someone spent time to craft them for me, to give them to me, and now I wear them to show that someone loves me. The law is that to you that was described in this proverb. Someone spent an incredible amount of time teaching you the law or teaching you instruction, developing you as their child. And now they have prepared this gift for you to wear. And how can we best honor? By wearing them with pride. If you want an example that I'm sure more of you could probably identify with, think of a quilt. The time that it takes to select the material, the design, the construction. And then once we have it, is it simply something that I put in the cabinet? And it's like, well, thanks, Mom. Or is it something that I want out displayed. Like these lay, it's not something I just merely wear on my, have on my wall or put in a drawer and break out for a special occasion. I wear them quite a bit, depends on the situation, but it's something I want people to know. Someone spent time creating this and I want to show their love that they have for me, to you, to the world. And the, one, there's a few other things I want to share on this. I want you to note, I am not wearing just one lei. I am wearing two, in fact. If I were actually to do this example justice that I wanted to, I should have worn three, but I had two. Because there is not just one person in my life who made, lei, who made these leis for me, the metaphysical ones. Of course, there is my mother, who is still alive, who I can still turn to. My grandma, for some of you who heard that part of my life, I was, I was raised on her farm my, when my grandfather died. My parents moved in with her to help her take care of the farm. 
and she ended up being a third parent. Not quite a mother, but had more authority than a grandparent. She fashioned a lay for me. There is a third person as well that uniquely holds this position in my life. When I was in first grade, there was a boy who moved near to me, and it was not common for people out where I lived to be near my age that were not my family. And coincidentally, we were born six months apart to the day. I am older. <laughs> the fact I like to remind him about all the time, <laughs> that every time it's his birthday, it's like, happy birthday, John, now I'm 35 and a half. <laughs> Although, no, that would be next year, but. <laughs> but through different situations in our life, I ended up spending a good deal of time over at his place. And his mom became an influence on me as well. That he, until recently, that she is still alive, but she would come to different family events. I remember her being there at, gradu at my graduation. When my grandma died, she was at my, at my grandma's funeral. When it came to weddings, she was there for those of, of my family and I, for hers when we could. In fact, she jokingly called me Luke because her other children are Matthew, Mark, and John. <laughs> but she is someone who, in my life, made one of those lays for me and had a transforming effect upon my life. And in the Bible, there is one that I want us to consider of the transforming effect that another woman who he came to call mother may have had in his life. And this would be the Apostle John. Now, some of you saw in The Chosen, or know the passage specifically, where they're outside, James and John are outside a Samaritan city with Jesus, and they are yelled at, or in The Chosen, they're attacked by the Samaritans of having stones thrown at him. And he and his brother James implore Jesus, call thunder and lightning down on these people and smite them, for they insult you. And Jesus admonishes them, calling them sons of thunder, and this is not the purpose of why he's here. But I want you to consider this for a moment. Two of the most brash disciples at this point in their life are wanting the Lord Jesus to call fire and lightning from heaven to consume these people. And then when you read the Gospel of John, he goes from the son of thunder to the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we can attribute much of that to the Holy Spirit, to his time with Jesus. But he had something unique that the other disciples did not have. He was unique that, when he, that he alone stood at the foot of the cross among the disciples. And there Jesus entrusted Mary, his mother, to John and John to her, where he told her, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And I can't help but think, even though I have no scriptural evidence to prove this, but the effect that must have had on that man to go from the brash man ready to call down fire lightning from heaven to the one who now humbly called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Certainly the Holy Spirit had a part to play with it, but I want to believe that Mary his new mother had a part in that as well. 
So then we come to today. We come to a society that does not necessarily is moving back on the pendulum, does not necessarily honor mothers or consider them essential, where more and more we have the state, the government saying, entrust your kids to us and we'll teach them the right way. <laughs> Colleges do the same and then we're surprised with the result later on when, well, that's the way my parents believed, but they were wrong and now I believe this other way. That's what society says on how we should honor our parents. Just merely thanking them for the creation of us and that's it. But the biblical view, the view I'm asking of you today, and not just on this day, but each day, there is someone in your life, there may be multiple people in your life that wove that lay for you to wear. And for you women, you young mothers and older mothers, you, wore, you wove plenty of lays for all those other people. And I can't help but think of people like Kathy, people like Dee, who work in schools and many others like them, if they would be surprised one day to see how many of those kids still proudly wear those lays that they spent all those hours working on them. There is the command in scripture, but we shouldn't need a command to remember our mothers, to honor them, not to instruct them, but to honor them, the, what they have done for us, regardless of who those mothers are in our life. Some of them, they were our biological. Others, through different family situations, were other relatives. And sometimes they were friends of the family. I can remember three unique people in my life. I am sure some of you can have more, maybe some have less. But there are people in your life that you owe it to them that if you still can, to thank them for what they have done, to honor them. And even if they are not here today, you can still honor them by proudly wearing that lay that they have woven for you. I, th I thank you today for letting me speak, for letting me give you these words on my heart. It is my hope that you can look back fondly on the mothers that have had an influence in your life, and now that you can wear that lay proudly to honor them. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the different people in our lives the different mothers in our lives, Lord, that had such an effect on us, the love that they shown for us, the unique position that you have created them for. And Lord, even amidst a society that is slowly, that is moving away from honoring them, Lord, let us not forget the promise of your word. Let us not forget the command of your word. And regardless of the command, Lord, let us remember them, wear proudly, the lay, the love of your law, Lord, that they have woven for us. 
must never forget the transforming effect that a mother can have on not just her children, but on, but on other people as well. Lord, we thank you for all the mothers in our lives, all the, those that have done this for us. Lord, let us not only remember the mothers, but once again, honor the position as something that is to be strived for and appreciated. And Lord, we do thank you so much for this, for the promise of your holy word, for this challenge. And may it stick with us deeply, Lord. And not just one day a year that we break out our lay and let them, our mothers know that we are proud of them, of the work that, the love that they have shown us. But let us wear that lay proudly every day. Let the world know that while that while they may not value their mother, we certainly do. We wear that lay with pride and aloha. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And this we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.